You're listening to the oneofus.net podcast network. One of Us is a podcast and video network funded all but entirely by donations and subscriptions. We do accept pitches for audio-based or banner ads, but on a case-by-case basis. If you're interested in that, contact us at oneofusnet at gmail.com. With the amount of audio and video content we generate, it is expensive and extremely time-consuming to keep things running. Please go to the webpage oneofus.net and sign up for a subscription at 2 5 10 or $25 and get a ton of bonus content. One of us needs and appreciates all your support. From the depths of pop culture rises a beast of unimaginable obsession to wreak havoc on the podcast of man. This is the Giganticast. <laughs> Hey folks, uh, it's uh, Matt here at the Giganticast. Bet you forgot I had a show. Um, uh, admittedly, it has been a while, uh, and I feel like I start just about every episode with that opener. But today, I've uh, I've got something kind of special here. Uh, some of you are probably aware of, and um, uh, but not enough of you probably know about uh, this new release coming out of uh, Godzilla and Godzilla Raids Again the original novels, which uh, probably raises more questions than it answers, but uh, that's uh, what we're here to talk about today. And uh, I am very excited to also have uh, a special guest, uh, and I have to be honest, and I should have checked before we started recording, how to actually pronounce your last name, <laughs> Jeffrey. <laughs> so, uh, so why don't you introduce yourself? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thanks, Matt. Um, I'm Jeffrey Engels, and I'm a professor of Japanese uh, at Western Michigan University in the little town of Kalamazoo. Mm-hmm. Kalamazoo. And I'm very happy to be here with you. Thanks for inviting me on your show. Sure. I really appreciate you taking the time. I know it was a little bit of a, uh, we had to jump through some hoops to make this happen. Uh, but, uh, because we are apparently both extremely busy, <laughs> Two busy people. Yes. As, as, <laughs> but I'm glad because I actually thought, um, angles was, uh, angles was how you pronounced it. But because I grew up in San Antonio, right. Texas, yeah. I was like, Angles. Oh, yes. <laughs> so, but I'm glad, I'm glad we've, we've got it, uh, yeah. got it sorted. Um, yeah. Um, uh, so, uh, so with, uh, with this project, you know, it's, it's, the original novels mm-hmm. and the the book it is credited to Shigeto Kayama, uh, but right. tell us a little bit about exactly what this is. Okay, so um, uh, there's a big story here, and I'll, I'll try to 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 condense it down here in a way that makes a lot of sense. But um, so. I'm sure that many of your fans out there, if they're great Godzilla fans, they know the story about the inception of the movie, right? Mm. That uh, that there was this producer by the name of Tanaka who was in Indonesia, um, you know, uh, working on a project. Uh, the project that he was working on in 1954 was suddenly canceled because mm. of a like a change in the the politics between Indonesia and Japan. Yeah. Um, I can tell you a little bit more about that later if you want. Sure. But um, but uh, he was he was suddenly there finding found himself in early 1954 without a project for that year, and uh, he had to come up with something fast. 
And so, uh, you know, the, the story is that he was on a plane from back home from um, Indonesia to Japan, and he picked up a trade magazine, um, uh, which, which had some, uh, you know, some information about, um, about the beast from 20,000 Fathoms, you know, which classic. was also released in 1953. Yeah, just the classic that was released just the year before Godzilla. And, uh, and he was inspired by that and began thinking about, um, about, about like, well, gosh, maybe we can make a big monster movie. And uh, that year, that um, that also coincided with a big uh, nuclear scare um, in mm. Japan or a radiation scare, which I hope we can talk about a little bit later too. Oh, we're gonna. And so, um, so anyway, he had this idea. All right, <laughs> <laughs> sounds like we're thinking alike. <laughs> mm-hmm. I like that. So, uh, so anyway, he he came up with the idea, um, and then, but then beyond that, <clears throat> I think that he hadn't sketched out a lot. So um, he went to the home of this guy, um, Shigeru uh, Kayama, um, who was a really popular science fiction writer, and asked him to write the scenario for the movie. So, um, so the first thing that happened was that uh, Kayama wrote this. Um, uh, scenario for the movie. They, uh, he gave it back to the people at Toho. The people at Toho then you know, turned this into a workable movie. Um, and they, they created the movie, filmed it, and so on. But, um, and there were lots of changes made in the scenario. But um, Kayama, I think like he had some, maybe some lingering feelings about you know, the changes that were made in the plot. Mm. So, um, so the next year, in 1955, um, just you know, uh, a few months after the film was released in 1954, um, Kayama penned his novelization of Godzilla, and so that's the the text that I that I've translated here. And um, the uh, Godzilla, the first book. So so in other words, like you know, this novella Godzilla was published a few months after the film was out, and um, and of course you know the the film made a gigantic splash, right? Mm-hmm. It was the most uh, expensive film that had ever been made in Japan until that point. You know, it was mm-hmm. like a really dramatic, wonderful thing that touched a lot of people, you know, regardless of age. Um, so you know, I think that he wanted to kind of you know restore a little bit of his own spin. So, so he mm. does that a bit in the, uh, in the novella. Um, and then also, you know, he was also um, asked, because Godzilla was such a huge hit, uh, he was asked to write the sequel, the scenario for the, for the sequel, Godzilla Raids Again, Gojira no Gyakushu, you know, yeah. in, in Japanese. And um, yeah, and so, uh, so he also wrote the novella for that too. And he published that. He actually, he published both novellas, Godzilla and Godzilla Raids Again, right about the same time that Godzilla Raids Again was hitting the theaters. So yeah, that's that's, that's yeah. kind of like a quick timeline. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean it really does kind of summarize a lot of the high points, and it actually answers a couple of questions that I had because the oh yeah <laughs> yeah well you know I mean this era of Godzilla ephemera is so interesting because uh-huh. it's before mm. it's before you know what we would consider the modern Hollywood hype machine, the modern Hollywood. Um, you know, marketing machine because movies definitely right. didn't have marketing machines behind them. Uh, but mm-hmm. you say something like novelization, like whenever I talk to people about this book and how excited I am for it, and I say, "Oh, it's the original novelization," it can mean a couple uh-huh. of different things because, like, first off, you mm-hmm. think of um, 
a novel, you, you think of the word original, you think, oh, Godzilla was based on a book. It, it wasn't. Um, right. And then you think, right. Right. And then you think of like a modern novelization. You think, well, this is something that is not to be disparaging. There are actually some quite good modern novelizations being made. But you think of something that, again, right. is part of the marketing machine, usually a, a, a writer is right. hired. Yes. Yeah, yeah, to throw something together. Uh-huh. And um, I'm sure uh-huh. we'll circle back around to this, but uh, like there's there are still novelizations of like current Godzilla movies, which is weird to say. Uh-huh. Like, God, um, sorry, <laughs> I'm desperately trying not to go in like nine different directions here. I frequently will do, <laughs> I'll frequently do panels. No, that's good. Yeah, I'll do panels at conventions where I will say, um, I will, uh, the title of the panel will be Matt Yells About Godzilla. And <laughs> and I will just, because I have a lot to nice. say on the subject, but um, yeah, so with with this, uh, well, let's, let's, let's talk about you a little bit yeah, first. You... Oh, sorry, go ahead. Well, be, before, before you, uh, before we, we do that, I, I did, mm-hmm. just to follow up a little bit, um, I, this word, uh, novelization, uh, like, uh, you're right. Uh, I was sort of um, worried about using that that word, um, you know, on the on the cover here because I I thought, well, you know, it is written by the same guy who actually wrote the scenario, and um, and you know, I didn't want people to think of it as just like you know some kind of cheap ploy to make money, because um, mm-hmm. I, I don't think that it was that for the for the author. I think that this was his way of kind of you know. For him, at least, sort of setting the record straight about you know what he wanted to say with the Godzilla story. Um, so um, yeah, it, 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 you're right that the that the novella comes a little bit after the film, but it does have this kind of really interesting relationship to the film. Um, mm-hmm. uh, that's you know maybe a little bit different than sort of the, the uh, what we think of when we think of like the typical novelization, which is as I would agree with you is largely just a commercial product. Yeah. yeah, I, I so I, we, we struggled about that, and I was kind of like wondered yeah. what should we call this? Is this like the original <laughs> novel, the original novelization? Or yeah, we we actually at the press we uh we had a a short discussion about that. So. <laughs> yeah, it's it's so funny because uh, so did you read um the Ashiro Honda biography by Steve Rifle and Ed Gajewski? Yes. Yeah, I right. Yeah, yes. I I just very wonderful book, so well written. Yes, I just recently managed to finish it myself because I sometimes uh-huh. it's hard for me to sit and read books because again I'm working all the time and I'm usually just have audiobooks or uh-huh. uh, podcasts going and um uh-huh. I read it mostly on airplanes and uh but I managed to finish uh-huh. it but anyway when the movie was being conceptualized the book that that biography does a really good job of emphasizing how weird this was for everyone like it was something that should not have even happened yes yeah given given the environment of um japanese film at the time 
Right, right. There's there's a lot of reasons that this was a really strange pro project. You know, um, there had never been a kaiju film before. <laughs> That's probably the biggest and most important thing to mention. You know, um, at least in Japan. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I suppose that we could consider King Kong in the U.S. <laughs> and uh, the Beast from Twenty Thousand Fathoms. You know, kaiju films like well, you know, kaiju uh, before the word kaiju. Um, well, actually, but uh, yeah, but um, but this was definitely a new project. Yeah. Know? Well, apparently, mm -hmm. apparently um, I can tell there's a tiny delay. I hope that's uh, not uh, going to be too infuriating for our listeners. But, hey, we're doing the best we can here, people. Um, but anyway. Oh, sorry. Uh, <laughs> no, it's it's nothing. You did anything wrong. It should be fine. <laughs> They've already put up with a lot of nonsense from me. So, um, anyway. <laughs> so, with um, – but, yeah, it, it's funny because the word kaiju does appear – um, as I'm sure you probably know, before the movie, before Godzilla came out. In fact, I remember, right. yeah. I think the yeah. Beast from 20,000 Fathoms is marketed as something, something kaiju. Like it has the word kaiju in the Japanese marketing for when it was released in Japan. But do you actually have hmm. any insight into the word kaiju historically? Because I think that's something that's a bit of a point of contention for a lot of fans. You know, I haven't done deep research about that, um, and that probably would be something really good to look into. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, um, you know, there there are some really wonderful resources out there that I that I suppose that we could turn to pretty quickly to to know. I mean, the word kaiju it it is just a combination of two very ordinary uh, Japanese characters that you see mm -hmm. all the time. Um, the one meaning scary, and the one meaning beast. Um, uh so yeah so i'm not surprised that you know that it that it has a history that predates the films but um but you know certainly the films gave it its new special resonance that it that it carries to today yeah. um there are some really good databases out there that like where you know like all the you know newspapers from japan all the major newspapers of japan have been digitalized and i suppose we could probably track down the history of the word kaiju without too much trouble by looking at some of those but i'm afraid that's something that i haven't done <laughs> well i, Ooh, I you've given me my next article hey yeah <laughs> there you go yeah, this if i can provide any service it'll be it'll be pedantic right. uh <laughs> pedantic nerdy crap that only i care about no i'm just kidding i uh no, you're not say, the only one. <laughs> <laughs> well, I will say that that when it comes to the word, I think it based on what I've little I've been able to dig up, there are cursory references to it in Chinese literature. Um like it is mm, a word mm. there there is like a word similar to it in older Chinese literature. Right. But, right. Yes, but it's, I think that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But I mean, yeah, and it has, I'm sure it has appeared. Well, I remembered having a conversation with a friend years ago about how the, in Japanese literature, in more modern or more contemporary literature, the word kaiju is used differently from the word monsta, from the katakana for monsta, for monster. So, mm. and, and mm. usually, of course, that refers to monsters that are not from Japan, you know, like King Kong mm. is kind of referred to as a monster alongside um, mm -hmm. Frankenstein's monster and Dracula and the creature in a black lagoon. But those also have their own uh -huh. uh, uh, vernacular that uh, that I'm sure lots of different Japanese sources use. It's almost like cultures aren't a monolith. And <laughs> there's... No, it's true. It's mm -hmm. true. Mm -hmm. Well... 
It is, it is interesting. So, you know, I wrote my uh, dissertation about a guy by the name of Erogawa Rampo, um, mm. or, uh, sorry, I said his name just now in the Japanese order. Um, mm. in the English order would be Rampo Erogawa. Mm. And he was like this writer who, during the 1930s, wrote tons and tons of strange stories about odd beasts and, you know, odd creatures. And, you know, like, he has one book about a kind of leopard human who, you know, like, infiltrates a city and commits all sorts of crimes and does, uh, does terrible things. And um, the, the word uh, kaiju or monsta both never appear, you know, in that particular text, like from the 1930s. So, um, so yeah, I mean, there were definitely stories that probably of, of things that like, we probably now would, you know, put in those kind of categories um, that, you know, that predate Godzilla and, you know, some of the things that we're probably going to be talking about today. But, um, but yeah, yeah, there's the, the etymology of monsters (laughs) in in Japanese (laughs) literature is like a fascinating subject. And, you know, again, that's like something I'd love to work on. Oh, sure. Well, I mean, I'm sure we'll, circle around to it because god knows i would like to i would love to talk for four hours on just the word kaiju (laughs) and what it actually means because we get well i just i as as a something just to briefly touch upon the best like Mm -hmm. introductory video to the concept i think on the internet is Mm -hmm. uh Overly Sarcastic Productions did a video on Kaiju, and they are fairly, they do a lot of research about, you know, his history and mythology, and their videos are pretty well researched, but they also have little bite-sized, little bite-sized chunks, just something to kind of get you, get your feet wet, and they do a video nice. on kaiju that I think is probably the best one out there because it's fairly simple. It's like when it comes to kaiju, it's like, you know, what when you see it, because there's always uh-huh. this, this back and forth about what is a kaiju? Is Paul Bunyan a kaiju? Which short answer, no. <laughs> um, <laughs> but like, again, we don't have four hours um, for me to yell at the, for me to attack the audience. Um, <laughs> so um, okay, so circling back around to you yourself, um, yeah. So, just tell us a little bit about yourself, like how you got into the business of being a translator, and you know, being working at university and all that sort of stuff. Just give us a little background. Oh gosh, yeah. So um, I'm uh, originally from the American Midwest, and. Um, I was when I was young. Um, I went. Uh, I was lucky enough to be a, a high school exchange student in Japan, and that just, you know, that set my life on this Japan path that I've you know continued down all the time since then. Mm. Um, I, I did a, a, a my uh, undergraduate degree in Japanese and international studies, and went to Japan, worked for a while, did a then did my uh, master's and PhD in Japanese literature, mm-hmm. um, uh, kind of back and forth between Japan and, and the U.S. Um, and uh, since 2004, I've been working here at Western Michigan University. I, I've always loved translation. Um, when I was young and I was innocent, I, I used to think that like, you know, all the great, you know, works of literature, all the things that needed to be translated were already translated. I mean, and what is, what an, like a huge mistake that is, <laughs> you know, like there's something like, uh, you know, uh, I've, I've read estimates that, uh, that there's maybe as many as like, you know, 
15 times the number of poets in Japan per capita than there is like in, in America. Uh-huh. And, you know, just like, just, just within the film of world of poetry and, and, you know, like we, the amount that's translated into English is just like a tiny, tiny, tiny drop in the bucket. The same goes for novels. And, um, and as I like really got into Japanese uh, literature and was, was reading um, kind of, widely and broadly it was i was just stunned to realize that how 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 little is translated mm-hmm. right now i think there's something like 25 books of uh, being published as uh, liter- translations of japanese literature every year in north america 25 mm-hmm. and you know and you if you consider that like the japanese publishing industry is one of the largest on the planet oh yeah that, you know that that they publish like as many books in japan every year as we publish in the united states even though there's less than half the population you know like um you know japan is a super literary country um with a huge production and and so it just seemed to me like oh my god you know more people need to be working on translating all these wonderful books that are out there so <laughs> that that's yeah. i mean it was it was just that like that simple realization that there's so much work to be done that that made me want to do it um you know a lot of the translation that i've done uh, so far has been of you know much more um kind of what should i say um uh, you know, what would kind of be considered like in quotes, you know, like high literature in Japanese, Jumbungaku. Can you explain what, what that is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So in, in Japan, when people are talking about literature or bungaku, as, as the word literature is mm. translated in, J- in Japanese, um, people often talk about um, Jumbungaku, which is like very literally pure literature. Um, which kind of means sort of like the big classics, like, you know, like, like, you know, John Steinbeck and, you know, Dostoevsky and, you know, the kind of people that you're likely to read in, you know, high schools and, and college and stuff like that. And they, and they often kind of put that in a separate category from what's called Taishu Bungaku. Mm. Uh, the word Taishu means masses um, of the people. So Taishu Bungaku is like, you know, literature for the people. So more kind of like literature of entertainment um, and things that were would that we would call genre fiction in the United States, like like mystery fiction or, you know, other forms of crime fiction, um, uh, you know, monster stories, you know, um, sure. uh, science fiction, uh, like a lot of those things would fall into to that category. Um, you know, I've always been a great lover of uh, of you know like ordinary lit- like literature for the people you know but um but you well, know I mean, academics that's... you know we kind of yeah. get pressured into you know doing doing a lot of the other stuff too <laughs> which is it's just so funny to consider that like am i am i correct in like shakespeare's stuff was really kind of the opiate of the people so to speak um, oh yeah when it came out absolutely it was definitely absolutely. like we yeah and and while it does correctly deserve its place in history uh at the same time you're kind of thinking about it like it's so interesting to watch the cycle of when something comes out it and then is. when it's reevaluated, uh-huh. like when um I was yeah. listening. I was listening to a show about Jurassic Park recently, and uh, you know, it's this uh-huh. movie that's one of my favorite movies, and it's kind of venerated uh-huh. now. Uh, and I go back and I read the reviews from the time, and 
very little uh-huh. there there's there are quite a few major critics who were fairly negative towards the movie and they were very dismissive of it hmm. and i find that so oh, interesting. interesting yeah huh yeah. wow i mean i mean and, there's a you know, now i think we'd say that it's like a classic <laughs> of science fiction for sure oh yeah. yeah or like um uh well what was it um uh there's another one there's a video that lambo's making the rounds again this was a couple of years back and it was uh 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 siskel and ebert uh and they were Mm -hmm. having like a debate with an old school film critic this old german guy who's uh sadly his name is escaping me but he they were talking about return of the jedi and uh, uh-huh. S- Siskel and Ebert were both uh, very, uh, you know, they were very, they were glowing about the movie. They were like, wasn't your heart warmed by Yoda? And wasn't like, you know, don't you think it's just like, <laughs> it's fun to see all this imagination on screen come to life. And the critic, uh-huh. the guy, he was so dismissive of it just this whole and it's it's fine to you know you can not you can not like whatever you want you like you don't have to like you don't have right. to like whatever and if you're if you're a critic you're you're beholden to your own biases it's just interesting to consider that this this critic was like saying about how well none of it's real you know it's all fantasy it's all just yeah. it's all just trickery and and make-believe and you know right. people should be going to see these little uh these little independent films which i agree people should see more of those uh mm-hmm. but you know i don't know i think it's fascinating it is interesting yeah no you you're totally right like the, you know the um the line between what, what i've just called pure literature and, and literature for the masses is a completely 100% artificial one mm-hmm. and um it was it, it actually um I've I've done some looking into this, um, but you know the 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 the, the term taishibungaku or literature for the masses kind of became mm-hmm. popular during the 1920s and 30s when there was um, a kind of new socialist movement in Japan, mm-hmm. and they were they were trying to say like look we we need to write literature that's actually people are going to read like ordinary people are going to read, and so they they came up with this term taishibungaku like literature for the masses, mm-hmm. and the word taishu in in Japanese kind of has a slightly marked Marxist ring to it, you know, like you'll find that in, you know, translations of like Das Kapital and and so on. So, so, you know, it was, it kind of came out of that, that sort of background, but for whatever reason that those, that term stuck and we still hear it in, in Japan today. Um, but yeah, no, but, but you're totally right that like, you know, we've now recognized that like, you know, many of the great writers, you know, the really truly inventive people are, you know, not necessarily the ones that, you know, are, um you know they kind of you know not the ones that the snobby critics are are reading um (laughs) that oftentimes it's like the things like uh to return to movies it's like you know like things like superman and so on that have the the bigger influence over the cultural imagination so you know you begin to kind of ask the question what is the great literature here is it the one that has this gigantic reach that is for the masses you know yeah i tend to think yes <laughs> you know that's why that's why I'm, I'm like it's really fun for me to 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 think about uh you know to think about popular literature like this and um and yeah for me uh, this godzilla project was a, a sort of different one i've i've done lots of translation of japanese poetry um hmm. of of you know of what people would kind of consider hard texts 
Um, and so for me, the, I, I have to say that like translating Godzilla was so much fun. It was so <laughs> much fun because it was, you know, it was, it was relatively easy to read. It was, you know, fairly straightforward, but, but, you know, I just was, was thrilled to, to be working on it, you know? <laughs> I so, I'm so yeah, glad to really hear cool. that. Yeah, no, I, I'm super glad to hear that because just you know, and we'll talk a little more about oh, it um, when uh, you know we get to the book itself because I am very grateful uh-huh. to have an advanced copy. Uh, I believe Heather sent that to me, so <laughs> um, uh-huh. which is much appreciated. Yeah, shout uh, out to Heather Skinner yeah, at University shout, of Minnesota Press. Shout yeah. out, shout out. Yeah, and um, uh, the. <laughs> It's just very interesting because the um, there are little uh, eccentricities to it because you're looking in uh, you really mm. are looking at, as a window into the past in a way that right. um, a lot of people don't tend to get through an English language lens. But before I get down that rabbit hole, uh, just uh-huh. so, another th- note I wanted to make about uh, like literature for the masses, you know. Uh, um, yeah, broad publications, things like that. And you're talking about the sheer volume of material that just doesn't make it over here. Um, I think, yeah, as a stunning, so much good writing. Yes. Like, well, especially for me as a fan of, as a fan of Godzilla and as a fan of, especially the Kaiju genre Uh in general, uh, Kaiju movies Uh by and large do get brought over here. There, you know, there are very few Uh Kaiju movies like, like I should say mass release Kaiju films in Japan that don't get brought over here. Most of them do, but there's Uh all this ephemera. There's all of this, uh, like Mm. almost every Godzilla movie had a comicalized, comicalized, uh, or uh, however you want to pronounce it, uh, uh, a comic version. Uh And, I don't believe any of them have been brought over here with the exception of the return of Godzilla, Mm. Godzilla 1985, Uh uh, the manga, which um, that one got brought over by Dark Horse back in like the late eighties, early nineties, I believe. Uh, And that, Uh uh, and it's just, it's just fascinating to consider that there's all this material that just doesn't get brought over here. And I understand it's obviously a question of time. It's a question of money. It's a question of whether or not somebody thinks it's going to be worth it to even adapt it. Um, And Japan Mm -hmm. in general, (laughs) again, another four hour subject by itself, but it's a, (laughs) because, and uh, again, I'm speaking in broad strokes here, but because it's a fairly insular society, um, I I would imagine that uh, outs it's one of the reasons why okay uh, let me reset here outside of anime and manga which are gigantic industries mm-hmm. uh, internationally right um, Japanese culture is I would say actually not very well understood uh, including sure. by the people who are big fans of anime and manga. So the stuff outside of that, right. tokusatsu, light novels, denser novels, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It, and and more, and just just again the kind of the ephemera outside of those genres uh, tends to get overlooked because it's a sure. it's a denser part of the culture. And I've I've spoken at length about tokusatsu itself and how it mm-hmm. truly is. I actually bristle. Whenever I'm talking about tokusatsu or Godzilla or whatever with someone and they start 
casually uh-huh. using words like, oh yeah, the bad special effects or the cheap buildings or cardboard buildings. I I cannot help but oh, sure. br- right. bristle a little bit because I'm like, yeah. oh, okay, yes, thank you for right. thank you for showing off your um, your Western bias, uh, which is a very a yeah. very I will admit is a very uh, ego- uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, uh, 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 it's a little bit of a Japanophile, you know, a tight ass way to to to, to uh-huh. be like, oh well, <laughs> you uncultured Western swine, which is not truly what I don't <laughs> want to go down. Anyway, just this idea that like everything has to be measured by this Western cultural lens. Where you know, we it's want, true. We yeah. what did uh oh what did David Callet say? Uh, David Callet said in the uh, history and filmography of Toho's Godzilla series, uh, that Westerners tend to view special effects as if it's not a hundred percent realistic, that is a, that is interpreted as a mistake. Um, whereas mm. in Japan, mm. it's a lot more about. Well, what's what's fun? What's theatrical? What's um, what's kind of? And it's also a question of budget, of course. But again, four sure, hours sure. rambling about this. Uh, so, <laughs> no, um, but I I completely agree with you. Yeah, mm-hmm. I've I've got to say that I just have this allergy when people begin to to kind of dismiss you know some of my favorite filmmakers with <laughs> oh, sure. with you know broad broad statements like that. You know. Yeah. Well, what's, um, what's, uh, what are so, just, a, that's an interesting point. Excuse me. What's an interesting point? Oh, well, point. so, uh, I really love the director, um, Obayashi, you know, whose mm. famous work is House. Um, oh, hell yeah. Uh, it, yeah. It's, you know, he's, he is a, I think, a genius. I mean, he made mm. films that really are unlike anybody else's. And, um, and, you know, they're combined, they have like sometimes these very kind of extremely sentimental moments. Um, you know, right up against moments that I think that like with special effects that probably lots of people here would consider cheesy, but, um, and, you know, and, and then that tends to color people's, you know, reactions to it, but, you know, he's mm-hmm. produced a ton of movies in Japan and very few of them are available here in the States. Um, I, I was going to say, I wasn't aware that he had really directed anything outside of house yes. and a bunch of commercials. Yeah. No, he's done a lot. He really has done a lot. Um, and, uh, you know, all the way up until his death, he was he was wow. producing films, some of which were are really fantastic and, and I think are as good, if not as, you know, right up there along alongside House. So That's he's one of those directors who I just think like, you know, I don't you know, I, I really want the Criterion Collection, you know, who, re- who released House to, uh, to, <laughs> to somehow get the rights to all of his other movies, because there's just so much good stuff there. Yeah. Of course, navigating Japanese copyright law is also a, a red tape yes. nightmare. On top yes, of that. yes, yes, yes. But uh, the I think it's interesting. Uh, are you familiar with the works of Akio Jisoji? Oh, uh, I, I know of him, but yeah, I, I don't know his, his 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 works very well, though. Yeah, a lot of his stuff is unfortunately not available in the states. Mm. Uh, I think Arrow put out a box set of the Buddhist trilogy that he did, mm-hmm. which are more um, in the thriller and uh, psychological, kind of in the psychological thriller, like drama category, but he's uh-huh. also known for doing a lot of Ultraman and a lot uh-huh. of uh, tokusatsu stuff. Yeah, I would recommend just grab catching a few of his um, 
his Ultraman movie, uh, Ultraman TV episodes, just because you're watching a guy just get weird with it. And it's just like, Uh well, why don't we film this scene like this? I'm just going to put like, I don't know. I'm trying to think of a specific scene, like filming characters through the circular openings in a, uh, in a wall and oh, just uh-huh, uh-huh. yeah and you're just like the one character's head is perfectly framed inside of this circle that's just a wall uh-huh. and it's just slightly off center it's uh he's a master of the uncanny mm. and uh, i would highly recommend excellent that. yeah that sounds like it's right up my alley oh yeah uh okay so circling back around to the to the novelization um yeah uh or the novels uh, the novellas uh-huh. which uh yeah so um so I've got my copy here, which uh-huh. as we spoke of before we were recording, uh, it's a little uh-huh. unfair that I have a hard copy of it before you do. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. It's yeah. I, I understand my copies are on the way. The, the publication date is October 3rd. And awesome. um, yeah. And so um, I, I'm hearing rumors that the, that the copies are beginning to reach people's hands. So that's very yeah. exciting for me. Yeah. I, I, uh, I've got, um, like I've got my copy here and I haven't been able just a second. Uh just need to make sure that something didn't just explode. Nope, we're good. Um okay, so uh I've got my copy here and I've I haven't been able to get through all of it, but um which is a little bit of a shame because it's kind of it's a pretty short read. Um Yeah. Uh, so it's very digestible, but I'm looking at some of the little, some of these little things that I thought were interesting, little details. Yeah. Like, uh, uh, for example, um, the way Kayama does sound effects feel right. more in line with how one would do them in a manga. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, just for uh, listeners to be aware, there are a lot of sound effects in this text. And when I so when I sat down and I, I read it for the first time, um, I that, that was one of the things that immediately jumped out at me. Like there's, you know, there you there are telephones ringing, you know, you know, um, those onomatopoeias are written into the page, um, you know, like all kinds of somebody stands up, you know you know, there's a shoot sound or something like that, you know, mm. there's, um, I mean, he, he fills the, the page with so many sounds that it's actually like kind of a noisy read, you know, <laughs> if you're like imagining all these sounds happening here. So um, one of the things that I decided to do when I was working in the translation was I tried to keep sounds in there as much as possible. And he was thinking like, not just as a kind of like trying to evoke visual images for the readers. Um, he was also trying to evoke sounds. And, um, and you know, as I think people who are listeners who are familiar with Japanese know, you know, translating sounds can sometimes be a rather difficult venture because like in, in Japanese, there are many, many, many sound related words, even for things that we wouldn't have a sound related word for in English. Like, you know, for instance, like one of the most common, like one, one example that I often give to explain this is that um, Japanese people, will, when they say that someone speaks fluently, they'll say, you know, um, he speaks, you know, pera pera. And uh, so we're, the word pera pera is like the sound of like words sort of like, you know, like fl- coming off of somebody's flapping tongue, you know? <laughs> and so, 
And so like this, even this very common word, which just I think is usually translated as fluently, you know, in English, sort of represents a sound in Japanese. It sort of represents the sound of the words just flowing out, you know? Sure. And so, so there are like so many, so many instances of this all throughout the text. I couldn't, you know, I, I try to keep in uh, onomatopoeias wherever they seemed reasonable because they're such a characteristic of his, his writing. But, um, but there were many places where I, you know, like, you know, if I if I wrote, you know, he spoke pera pera, you know, <laughs> you know, English readers wouldn't understand that at all. Right. But yeah, but um, anyway, to return to your point, like it is a like very kind of sort of noisy text in a way, and and um, and I think that probably Kayama in his mind, you know, was thinking about uh, was thinking about manga, um, which were you know, manga were kind of beginning to develop into their sort of um you know modern form right about the same time you know the the kind of long format that that we all think of as as japanese um you know such an important japanese product yeah it's it's yeah. interesting you say that because uh i actually have here you're probably the the microphone's probably pricking up the crinkles i have a reprinting of the original gojira manga oh, oh um, nice that was released up I would imagine about the same time as the film, uh, hmm. probably serialized in something, uh, almost certainly serialized. And mm -hmm. it's, it's, a, it's very, well, first of all, it's mostly crosshatching, which I think is mm. fascinating from an artistic mm -hmm. perspective. And um, uh, also Godzilla looks fairly different. He looks more like a big Tyrannosaurus Rex as opposed to uh -huh. like the dorsal spined, um, uh, kind of a uh, uh, hybrid creature that he is, but uh -huh. uh, and it's funny to consider that like I'm looking at it and there's actually not a lot of like specifically staccato uh, 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 sound effects represented uh -huh. in the manga. It's I see interesting. It's it's, I, it, it's kind of presented like it's supposed to be this very classy production uh -huh. there's not even hmm. a i don't even think there's a yeah yeah i'm not even seeing an onomatopoeia uh, i'm not seeing any katakana for like godzilla's roar you know no angyao um, uh -huh. but uh uh although funny funny little anecdote um uh when i was first started when i first started going to japan to do uh yeah. sign a convention of uh, conventions and signings and stuff uh, -huh. uh some friends of mine uh over there asked me what is what is this word? Uh, and they uh -huh. opened up one of my Godzilla comics and they went to the word Skryonk, which is Godzilla's roar. <laughs> and I was like, oh, it's, well, they, they figured it was Godzilla's roar because, but because uh, they couldn't all read English or they couldn't all read uh -huh. um, uh, Romanji, uh -huh. uh, they were like, you know, they were kind of curious about it. So I said, oh, it's, it's Skryonk, Skryonk. Like it's it's the sound effect, and they were like, "Oh, well, in Japanese it's angyao," and I'm like, "Well, oh wow, I didn't know. I, I knew that gyao is kind of the general term for roar, but um, I just think that I just uh, anyway, <laughs> it's it, you know, it's really really interesting that you bring up you know this this question of uh, Godzilla's roar because like this is another point that I I dwelled upon when I was translating this. Like so in in the Japanese of uh, that was written by Kayama, you know, he's written out, uh, he's written out all the roars, you know, as <laughs> it, like in, uh, in, in Katakana. And mm -hmm. so Godzilla's roar is pretty consistently something like, Gua. Gua. Yeah. I saw that. And, um, 
and I was, uh, you know, like I was perplexed, you know, I'm not perplexed exactly, but like when I went through it in my first draft, my, of course, my first tendency was to want to put roar, you know, mm-hmm. like, but then, you know, that's not very interesting. Right. And it's not yeah. unique. And then, um, and then also, also too, in the second, um, the second of the novellas, uh, Godzilla raids again, we have the uh, appearance of, um, uh, of of a new kaiju, you know, um, mm-hmm. uh, Ang- Angiris. Mm-hmm. <laughs> how do you, how do you pronounce this name in English? Uh, uh, Angiris is um, how people um, tend to pronounce it, but Angiras. I yeah. I get what you're saying. Yeah, <laughs> so 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 Angiras. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Um. So um. So uh, you know, in his roar was like you know, whoa, you know, <laughs> in Japanese, and and uh, and I I like I had a. I had a struggle about how to even write that on the page in English, but, <laughs> but, you know, in the end, like I, 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 I talked about this with my editor. I'm like, you know, I, if I just Romanize, you know, Godzilla's roar is like, wow, you know, mm. what do you think about that? And he's like, his first reaction is it doesn't sound like a roar. So we kind of decided to do like a compromise. And I think I represented, uh, represented it on the page oftentimes as like G R R R R R R A W R. Do I mean yeah, to I've kind of like here, have a, yeah. a bit of an English roar mixed in with the Japanese roar? So, um, I mean, it, it reads like a roar. Yeah, roar. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I mean, so I, I don't know. This is one of those things because, of course, kaiju fans, you know, they, uh, you know, everyone knows all the roars of the various kaiju, and they're they're loved and imitated all over the world. So, <laughs> yeah. I had to yeah. think about that one quite a bit. <laughs> yeah, no, that's 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 really fun. I I I I love those little details. They give so much. Um, they yeah. give so much little. Uh, uh, just what's the word I'm looking for? They give a little little bit of flavor, a little bit of uh, of the little things that uh-huh. uh, give it a little extra spice. Because again, as I'm right. sure you're aware. Uh, <laughs> There are so many things that don't have direct English translations. Like, um, right. I remember, yes. cause, you know, you were talking about the, what did you say? It was para para or pera pera? Um, when you talk about pera pera. Okay. Okay. That's right. Uh, so uh, it, I'm thinking about things like that. And I'm thinking about, like, uh, I remembered being told the word natsukashi. Um, doesn't specifically uh-huh. mean nostalgic, but it does in like a roundabout way. Like I don't know. I'm actually curious about yeah. that. Yeah. Um. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The word natsukashi. Um. Yeah. Oh gosh, <laughs> you keep on hitting on all these things. I have so much to say about. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Keep it short. Uh, uh, yeah. The word natsukashi. You know, it's it's such a common word. People use it all the time, and I think that like you know. Um, ardent anime listeners and so on are probably mm. used to hearing you know people say ah oh, natsukashi you know all the time <laughs> in 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 anime um you know it it it's a uh, like sometimes when i when i translate that word i it's an it is an adjective in japanese mm. and um and so like if if you're looking for another adjective you know to kind of replace it by you know nostalgic might be you know like one possibility but but people use that word sometimes like like, you know, if they look at an old picture or something like that, and they might think like, uh, you know, oh, that brings back memories, you know, that they would, mm. we would might say that in English, like, oh, yeah, oh, boy, this really brings back those, you know, those old days or whatever. Mm. Um, but yeah, and people in Japanese would say natsukashi to kind of mean the same thing, like, you know, oh, this evokes some, 
some impressions of the past, some That's, some good moments of the past. It's so funny yeah. how it's both a broader concept and yet also incredibly specific. Uh, like the yeah, because like I'm thinking about how uh people I know have said you know they go uh, mm, Natsukashi eh, like they're very there's a very wistful way <laughs> they'll say it like uh, yes. uh and and I I just think that's so funny that uh, there there's that slight that slight distinction uh-huh. um but anyway right yeah uh that's that's really fascinating can, can Again, I, I wanted go ahead. Oh, please go ahead. Uh, tell you what, you go ahead. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I was going to mention, like, since we're on the topic of uh, of translation problems, you know, I, I want to mention my biggest and most um, complicated problem in in translating yes. uh, Godzilla here, uh, and and that is that Godzilla nowhere in the book, anywhere, is there even the slightest hint of what Godzilla's gender is. So uh, we we always think in English that Godzilla is, you know, we, we always talk about Godzilla as a he. And I'm not sure what, quite where that convention started. But um, but in the the book, there's absolutely zero indication of, you know, if Godzilla is a male or female or, you know, like some lizards are, I think, are hermaphroditic. You know, they have the, the characteristics of both sexes. And, um, and, you know, maybe Godzilla's queer, you know, maybe Godzilla is like, <laughs> non-binary, you know, maybe it's not even an issue, you know? Yeah. Um, and I like, and so what do you do with that? You know, it, because in English, we are almost compelled to use a pronoun like in oh, sure. all the time, right? Like he did this or he did that, you know, in Japanese, that's not necessary at all. You can have perfectly wonderful conversations and, you know, and, and well, never using a single pronoun the entire time. Like, yeah. but, you know. Uh, yeah. you, you know, it, but like in English, in Japanese, there might be just like a, a, a sentence that like literally is like, you know, blank raised hands, you know, but in English, we would kind of fill that in as like, you know, he raised his hand. So we kind of in, in, inject the gender like in a couple of places there um, where it's, you know, it's not like physically marked in the Japanese sentence at all. So so I struggled about this. Like at first I was like I, I was so intrigued by the fact that Godzilla wasn't obviously a male in the in the story that yeah. I, I was like, okay, well how can I deal with that? So I translated it uh, I I made all the references to Godzilla it. So, you know, it raised its hands. <laughs> and um and then you know, so I had and then I and then I showed it to my students like when I was uh one time after we, we watched the Godzilla movies and then we read the the story together and talked about the differences. Um but like, you know, a, a lot of the students were like, "It's what's all this it's?" you know, like why is Godzilla not, you know, he? <laughs> and when I explained this, they were all like, "Wow," you know. And so some students suggested, "Well, you know, maybe we could do the the new kind of like 21st century thing." and and call godzilla they you know um and i tried that i tried shifting it uh, um uh uh but then sometimes it introduced confusion into the text like because if godzilla attacks a crowd you know then sometimes it becomes and you use the word they sometimes it's unclear whether you're talking about the crowd or you're talking about godzilla so you know i kind of felt like that had its problems too so in the end it's like after struggling with this quite a bit i i decided to go with the kind of typical you know already pre-existing you know english language convention <laughs> of referring to godzilla as a he i was uh, gonna and, say and my, my justification oh 
Oh, my, my just my, the one final point is that my, my justification is that like, you know, uh, Kayama, who wrote this story, wanted to use, like, you know, he describes Godzilla as taking on, um, like, you know, like Godzilla represents a, like the nuclear threat that, that Japan was, was feeling and facing. And so, you know, my, my, my justification is like, you know, if the guys who are you know, creating all the nuclear weapons in, in America and the Soviet Union were, were men, and they seem to have been largely men, um, then maybe it's okay for Godzilla to be a man too. Um, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, you know, in what, any case, that's actually an extremely interesting. Uh, first of all, that's a fascinating topic, and I definitely have a lot to say about that myself. Uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, less an interview and more of a trading off of nerding out over stuff. Um, the, yeah. <laughs> uh, but the the I think that's so interesting because a lot of times, a lot of the arguments that I'll see online with um, people using uh, uh, pronouns regard with Godzilla, it often comes down to more mm -hmm. about making Godzilla specifically and personally relatable which is understandable uh, right. from a perspective of someone who grew up watching stuff like Godzilla versus Space Godzilla or Ghidorah the Three-Headed Monster where or even more recently Godzilla King of the Monsters where Godzilla mm -hmm. is a is a character or rather he's a he's mm -hmm. a protagonist uh, whereas I think it's important right, right, to remember right. like that Godzilla is in a lot of cases more of an antagonist and representing him as something to be feared um, is definitely the right, more Japanese right. perspective. I, I don't know. I think it's really interesting that you you kind and of solve that problem by equating him to something bad. <laughs> yeah, so, um, you know, in this... Um, Godzilla definitely changes over the course of even the first handful of movies that were released by you know Toho in the 1950s and 1960s. Like in the very first Godzilla, um, and in this novel that was you know based, written by the same guy who wrote the scenario for the first uh, for the first two movies. You know he he thinks of Godzilla largely as just this kind of destructive force um, that's you know coming to to attack Japan, and so he doesn't. And yes, he does kind of, you know, talk about how like Godzilla is a victim of, you know, of nuclear radiation, of hydrogen bomb testing um, and so on. But, but, you know, really like the overwhelming majority of the, these first two novels are about Godzilla and the destructive forces that he's unleashing. And so, uh, you know, what Japan is going to do about that. You know, he, it's only kind of later after this writer, Kayama, is, you know, out of the, the thing that that Godzilla becomes sort of more of a sort of <laughs> beloved, you know, cuddly figure or something. Well, it's, I don't know if you can say cuddly if he's that big, but you oh, know I, mean. I mean, trust me, there are plenty of people who think of Godzilla as extremely cuddly. Uh, there's, <laughs> it's, it is yeah. fascinating. And again, I feel like that's another topic that could go, we could talk about for a long time. Um, mm -hmm. This, I, this, the trying to square the circle of you're mm -hmm. creating that you have this franchise character now mm -hmm. that people have a lot of different feelings about. And if you're a fan, mm -hmm. you generally love Godzilla and want to root for Godzilla. Right. Uh, uh -huh. But he's also born from this, from uh, uh, cultural trauma. Trauma, right, yes. right. That's yeah. very important. Yeah, yeah, I think that's. We can't overlook that at all. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's really interesting because so the guy who who wrote these novels and the scenario for the first two movies, um, 
Kayama, he, he, uh, like after the first movie, he, uh, you know, the people at Toho came back and were like, wow, that was such a big success. We want you to write another you know, movie for us right away. Mm-hmm. And, and so he, at first he said, I really don't want to do this. How can we do this? We killed Godzilla with the oxygen destroyer in the last movie. We saw his bones, you know, there for like a second and, you know, at the, in, right towards the end of the, the, uh, the movie. And then even those bones disappear into the ocean. Like, how are we supposed to bring Godzilla back? This is ridiculous. Um, <laughs> But, you know, but the, he, the pressure was on. So he said he, he, he holed himself up in a, um, a hot spring resort in the town of Atami and just sat there thinking, like, how on earth can I can I do this? So um, so, you know, he he figured out that, like, you know, right at the end of the first movie, they, uh, the character Yamane had said, well, you know, if we continue, uh, if we as human beings continue nuclear testing, then maybe a second Godzilla will one day appear. Mm-hmm. So he, he decided to kind of capitalize on that and, you know, create a second Godzilla for the second movie. But then after that, he's like, he's he decided I'm never going to do another Godzilla movie again. And um, there was apparently he wrote about this in, 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 uh, in an essay that was published uh, in 1955, I think. Um, he said that he was in a doctor's office, uh, a dentist's office, and mm-hmm. there was like a Life magazine sitting there, and it had some article in it about like um, dinosaurs. <laughs> and I guess one of the kids who was there was like, "Ah, Gujira, Gujira," and uh, and he was like, and he realized like watching this little kid get all excited about this dinosaur magazine um, that that you know Godzilla had become this as we said before, like this kind of cuddly thing that people feel affection for. And, um, and that, you know, really his initial goal of, you know, writing Godzilla as sort of like a stand in for the the horrors and the fear of radioactivity and nuclear weapons, like that, he felt like that message is getting lost. Mm-hmm. And so that's, so he said, I'm never going to write another Godzilla movie again, no matter how much, you know, the people at Toho begged me to do it. That is so interesting. Cause yeah, I've, I mean, I think a lot of Godzilla fans, especially fans who think way too much about it, like I do, um, uh-huh. sometimes struggle with that a little bit because, I mean, let's let's be honest here. The the franchise is a franchise. It's it's uh-huh. it is a it is a machine that prints money, uh-huh. and uh-huh. The, I don't think. And I think that it's it's important to recognize that uh, it's including recently a lot of the. New, uh, overt nuclear references in a lot of Godzilla media has kind uh-huh. of been scrubbed out. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it could be argued that that's nothing new. I mean, they were doing that as far back as Godzilla, uh, as far back as the early Showa days um, when yeah. they really kind of stopped talking about the radioactive elements of Godzilla um, because that mm-hmm, wasn't really mm-hmm. the focus of the story anymore. And uh, right, but I think it's important. It's really interesting. Um, yeah. Oh, sorry. Oh no, no. Oh well, I I, I think a lot of that also oh. comes into play when you uh, you talk about something like Shin Godzilla, for example, and how Ano yes. uh, Ano Hideki really had to fight to get them to let him make it about nuclear contamination and radioactive fallout and all that right. because. Japan was also um, reeling in the wake of the Fukushima disaster and to an extent still are. Exactly. And, and so, you know, yes. a, 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 a image minded company like Toho 
would it's understandable that they would want to not ruffle too many feathers, you know, especially in a society like Japan where you got to keep the wheels greased. You've got to, you do, it's a, it is a kind mm-hmm. of a don't rock the boat culture in a lot of ways. Um, it's, so. it's true. Um, you know, it's really interesting that like this struggle about like, you know, how, how reflective of society to make the Godzilla films like that, that, that kind of question was there right, right from the very beginning. Um, you know, like, so, uh, I talk about this a little bit in the afterwards to the uh, to the novellas. So, like in if in the book, there's uh, you know Godzilla the novella, then there's Godzilla raids again, you know the novella, and then I uh, at the back of it, I, I wrote a little bit about the the author, you know, the relationship between the book and the films, some differences between the two, and and some other kind of cultural points. And but I, so I talk about this a little bit um, in the uh, you know there, um, but uh, when Kayamo first was asked to write, you know, the scenario for the film, um, he wrote it, uh, he really, really wanted to make it about nuclear, like, you know, contamination and the fear of nuclear weapons. So uh, actually, if it's okay, like I, I, uh, let let me uh, find the passage and, and, uh, and and kind of share, like, so when, when he, um, when he, 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 the, the, uh, Kayama's scenario for Godzilla starts out with this kind of long diatribe that he wanted a um, a, a voiceover, um, you know, off-screen person to read, mm. um, and and this is it. So uh, I translated it and included my my um, my thing, uh, my 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 explanation of the book. Um, here's how it goes: um, November XX, nineteen fifty-two. On this day, our planet Earth was terrorized by a fearful experiment that, until that point, no one could have possibly imagined, and it left the world unable to do anything but tremble in fear. The first hydrogen bomb test. It didn't involve destruction as much as outright murder. In the blink of an eye, the test site um, was returned to nothingness, and a radioactive cloud tore 32 miles wildly up into the stratosphere, rising like the hair of the devil himself. Then, on March XX, 1954, a new hydrogen bomb, proudly and newly completed, was tested on uh, Ewenetak Atoll. We've not been informed about the details of that test. However, judging from the fact that the scientist in charge of the experiment described it as involving destructive uh, abilities beyond our wildest imagination, one cannot help but feel one's skin crawl at the thought of its fearful power. Can we say that fortunately this power's range only extended to the area of the tests themselves? No, the answer is a resounding no. So, mm. like, that's what Kayama wanted to put at the very beginning of the first Godzilla movie. But like, <laughs> uh, the, the the people at, uh, at at Toho Studios were like, "No, dude, that is way too political. <laughs> that's way too heavy." Um, you know, Honda uh, he was dead set against kind of making the film that heavy-handed um, po- uh, and political. Mm-hmm. So they they completely cut that out. And, um, and, uh, but th- there are sort of certain political, like, dimensions to the first Godzilla film. Like, um, oh, yeah. there's a scene right in the very beginning of the film, um, uh, where we see the sea explode, kind of, and there's a fisherman's boat there. And if you, if you look carefully, you'll notice that the, the boat has on it, um, the number five. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is a reference to something that actually happened in the year 1954. Um, in 1954, um, there, the 
there happened to be a boat called the, I think it's called, usually translated in English as the Luck and, Lucky Dragon Number no. 5. Daigo Fukuryu Maru in Japanese. Yeah. 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 And, uh, and so this was a, like a, a bunch of Japanese fishermen who happened to be out in the Marshall Islands and they got caught in a hydrogen bomb testing, like a secret, secret hydrogen bomb testing. And, um, and the entire crew was irradiated. Uh, one person died within a year from the radiation um, sickness, and and a number of the others uh, you know, developed uh, cancer and um, and you know severe illnesses, and so you know this was like a huge shock to Japan. It was it made front page news everywhere, and um, that and people describe this as the third time that Japan was being bombed by the United States using nuclear weapons. And um, it, in the uh, subsequent investigations afterward, much to their horror, the Japanese population realized that radioactive tuna from the Pacific that had been irradiated by these you know, nuclear tests out in, um, in, the, in the Marshall Islands, um, th those irradiated tuna were making their way to, to Japanese you know, tables and tummies. So like the whole country was in an uproar in 1954. And so um, this was like front page news for months and months on end. And so like, you know, we, when we like, you know, watch the Godzilla movies now, I think, you know, unless you kind of read the footnotes, you know, <laughs> like, like we might not know this sort of historical, you know, context, but, but like, you know, anyone who was watching the movie when it first came out in 1954 would have recognized the, the kind of very clear, but subtle reference to to this boat, the you know the Lucky Dragon number five that was blown up in the Marshall Islands, they they knew about like you know the tensions you know between the Soviet Union and America and the increasing you know, bombs are becoming stronger and stronger and stronger, and also too there's the scenes in the hospital where like you know they're running Geiger counters over you know you know like um, a bunch of children who've been irradiated by Godzilla, you know, mm. like there's no person in Japan who could have possibly seen that without thinking about Hiroshima and the, and the after effects of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. So, so this is like very, it's a very strongly anti-nuclear film. Um, oh, yeah. And that would have come across loud and clear to audiences in 1954, but not in a way that was super heavy handed. It's, it's, it's so fascinating yeah. because the, this whole subject of of you know uh, politics in Godzilla is a, a bit of a of a, uh -huh. a hot topic of debate in the modern fandom, uh -huh. uh, mostly as an uh -huh. overspill of the modern conversations about uh, about uh, politicization, the po the politicization of. Uh -huh mass media which is nothing new everything everything we do is informed by our politics everything you know our worldviews our especially our creative endeavors right. uh and but you know mm -hmm. there's and again it's a subject for another day but uh i think <laughs> i think there's something to be said if if something like godzilla was made today and it, it, or really just anything like if you were to make Godzilla today and it would have been made, let's say not to be too heavy handed or dramatic, but let's say there was a monster movie that was very, very, very explicitly 
about mass shootings in America. And not in a, mm-hmm. but in a Godzilla sort of way where it's more circumstantial than mm-hmm. um, heavy hand, than, than, you know, Kayama telling the audience what it's about from the beginning. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that it would be very interesting to watch the reaction cycle to that because, and I think sure. it probably wasn't yeah. too dissimilar yeah. in 1954 Japan. I believe there were some responses to the film that were, did oh, criticize yeah. it for being, for, for basically taking such a heavy subject and mm-hmm. uh, using it as the basis for a quote unquote entertainment film, you know, a, a film yeah. for the masses, a right. weird science fiction film. Mm-hmm. Um, right. I, I think that uh, in addition, I think that anyone who wants to know more about the Lucky Dragon number five incident mm-hmm. would do well to listen to David Callett's commentary on the original Godzilla for Criterion. Mm. Um, he did a really good job of... Uh, Excellent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He did a really good job of kind of breaking down um, the politics behind the decisions to keep it quiet. Um and in addition, if you want something truly horrific, uh, there's a, a multi-part podcast series from Last Podcast on the Left uh, where they talk about the Manhattan Project, but they make sure that the last maybe one or two episodes reflect on what was happening in Hiroshima uh, mm. and convey a lot of the um, experiences and uh, that people had and uh whatever you think it is it's much worse like mm, right truly nightmarish truly truly nightmarish yeah 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 and, if i can just put a plug in for a piece of japanese literature yes, there's an please. astoundingly wonderful book um called black rain which is uh, it's about made to maybe 250 300 pages but it's a very detailed novel about a man um, who is living with radiation sickness. And um, and he describes his experiences in Hiroshima as well as his family's and the, the long effects that it continued to 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 sh- cover, uh, to, to, to cast over people's lives, you know, for, you know, dec- you know well over a decade to come. It, I mean, there's still people who are, you yeah. know, alive and, and suffering from the, you know, the damage of, uh, you know, that was done to them in 1945 incredible it's it's truly like you said like we were just saying it's it's truly nightmarish and the i actually got to go to hiroshima um Mm. back in 2019 Mm -hmm. i was traveling for an an event in iwakuni kind of in southern honshu and right yeah um very close by yeah Uh yeah and i was talking to the uh uh, the people on the base and stuff Uh, i was i was doing an event at the uh military base there uh because they wanted to bring over you know anyway i'm not getting into the details but i realized that the uh iwakuni was really only about an hour or so from hiroshima and i was like you know what i really need to make the trip out there and go take a little day trip and Uh I first off, I was struck by how beautiful the city is. It's such yes. a lovely and very like there's lots of trees. It's very, very yes. um it's not as overwhelming as say Tokyo is, as like Shinjuku uh-huh. is. Um uh-huh. and uh and on top of that, you know, I went to the Memorial Museum um and that stuck with me. I actually 
I actually made a piece of art um, inspired by it of Godzilla um, blowing, you know, his his breath towards the sky and it forming into a mushroom cloud. And Mm. because I had to get this out of my body, um, I I rendered the mushroom cloud made out of skulls because I I had seen one of the photos, uh, one of the photos they had blown up and put as a big poster on the wall in the museum uh-huh. was all the skulls they were pulling out of the rubble because they were just trying to count bodies at that point. Uh-huh. And yeah. it's again, it's so nightmarish and it's kind of one of the things that makes God, something like Godzilla King of the Monsters, um, which I don't dislike that movie. I actually have a pretty big soft spot for a lot of the elements of that film. Uh, but mm-hmm. I feel like the movie is trying to do some things with the nuclear angle and it's doing them very mm-hmm. poorly. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And which is kind of why when it came around to something like Godzilla versus Kong, I was kind of glad mm-hmm. they just didn't talk about it. Um, <laughs> right, right, right. It, yeah. They just, uh, yeah, they just uh, have a very big fight in, in a yeah. beautifully lit up city. Yeah. yeah it's, it's just a cartoon <laughs> at that point. And with, and King yeah. of the Monsters, uh, you know, it's, it, it, it definitely like, it wants to have these points about, um, uh, environmentalism and uh, these little touches about radiation and stuff, but at the same time, it's handling them in this, Unfortunately, very, uh, I'm sad to say, very uh, Western style approach where we have such a different relationship with nuclear weaponry, Mm. which has been talked about at length um, elsewhere. But just this, uh, you know, we never, what is like the closest thing we've had? Anything like that is maybe Three Mile Island. Mm. Um, I mean, who knows? But anyway... Uh, so back to the novel, uh, and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, um, hit another couple of quick points and then, uh, probably wrap it up. Cause I, I'm sure we could talk for hours on this <laughs> subject. Um, but the, it's fun. How, how did this, uh, project come to you? Uh, what, what yeah. Oh gosh. Yeah. So, um, so I was in Japan when, uh, the 311 disasters happened. Oh, oh wow. the 311, but I, I mean the, the March 11, 2011 disasters. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it was like, it was the scariest event of my life, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, I was, I was a visiting professor at the University of Tokyo. And, um, and, and, you know, even in Tokyo where I was like it, the, the shaking was unbelievable. Like mm-hmm. I, I had never experienced, I'd experienced tons of earthquakes in, in Japan, but I mean, I mean, my God, that was just crazy. And, um, so, uh, then afterward and all the confusion, you know, it was, it was like a, like a, a really powerful thing for me. So when I came back to America, um, uh, I, 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 uh, I started teaching these classes every once in a while about disaster in Japan, partly as kind of my way of thinking through my own experiences mm-hmm. and, and also reflecting on this new kind of growing body of literature that was written after the, 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 the disasters in 2011. Um, and, uh, you know, and like, you can hardly talk about disasters in Japan without showing Godzilla, right? <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. So, so I, I included Godzilla and the, you know, because I like Godzilla and, um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's also related to this theme that, that interested me, this academic, you know, kind of thing. But I was really struck by the, as I was watching the subtitles, um, like I was really struck by the fact that it said, Gensaku, you know, Kayama Shigeru, like, you know, based on work by, you know, uh, Shigeru 
Kayama. And I'm like, hmm. what? What? This is based on something? What? So, I, I, and I didn't know the story at that point about like, you know, Godzilla's inception. So I started looking into it and I'm like, you know, and, and, um, you know, I, I quickly realized that the, none of the English sources really talked about Kayama and his involvement at all. And um, be, because I worked in Japanese, you know, literature and, and especially kind of popular literature, I knew that Kayama was like one of the really prominent uh, sci- sci-fi writers of the mid-century. So I'm like, I wanted to investigate that that linkage a little bit more. So, so I started doing that and I'm like, now that's when I read the, the novels themselves, the novels themselves are, are out there. You can buy them at any big Japanese bookstore. Um, mm-hmm. uh, they're published by uh, Chikuma Shobo, which is, you know, one of Japan's very big prominent publishers. And so, you know, they're very easily available in Japan. And I'm like, I, when I, when I read them, I was just stunned. I'm like, you know, this is available on every bookshelf in Japan, you know, like at every big bookstore. And like, there are so many Godzilla fans in America. How has no one ever translated this? Like, that was just crazy to me. So, so I immediately like sent off a letter to the publisher and said, you know, hey, uh, you know, is anyone uh, interested in this? And they they told me that there is a a French translation and an Italian translation. I think wow. the Italian came first. So, um, so they they were like, yeah, we'd love to, you know, we'd love to sell the rights to to the American to to an English speaking audience as well. And I'm like, sign me up, man. <laughs> so, um, so I I uh, I took, you know, I I wasn't quite sure where to take the project uh, at first, but um, I uh, University of Minnesota in recent years has been publishing a number of Japanese science fiction classics in English translation. And so, like, you know, I knew that that was an area of interest of University of Minnesota Press. And so I sent them this idea, like, you know, hey, you know, you're interested in Japanese science fiction classics. Well, you know, what bigger classic is there than Godzilla? Yeah. <laughs> and they were like, and they were like, hell yeah, sign us up. So, so I was really happy about that. I mean, Minnesota has just been like, you know, behind this project, you know, since I first mentioned it to them and I couldn't be happier about it. The book is so handsome. Like I've oh, only yeah. seen it in PDFs, but um, yeah, you've got the original, you've got the thing there, I think, but I, yeah. I, I love it. The cover is wonderful. You know, they've yeah. just, just done such a good job. This, this old like newsprint close up of Godzilla's face. And yeah. it has this, it has this quality. I kind of want to do like some art like um some little sketches or something like based on like say i never saw the original movie and i only have uh-huh. read the book and doing Ooh. like doing some sketches you know like like the, especially because godzilla is so he's presented as much more lizard like in a lot of the original um uh-huh. conceptual drawings and things like that i can mm-hmm. wax politically about that i'm sure but the I, I honestly, that's super cool to hear that you kind of, as the way I like to put it, you kind of brute forced this thing because yeah, that's that is I would describe that as being about sixty to seventy percent of my own career. Uh, oh, uh-huh. Uh-huh. because I, I just. I often have felt when I've, you know, coming up and becoming a professional um, illustrator and now a writer. I care about stuff that no one else cares about and I'm just going to brute force it. Like I've done a couple of adaptations of 
Japanese uh, superhero stuff from the 70s that, again, uh-huh. no one really cares about. But I said, screw it. Then that means the license is cheap. Let's do this. And uh-huh. um, I've done it for a couple of different things. And it's just one of those things where it's like, and then even with Godzilla, yeah. you know, especially because Godzilla is so much is in vogue now, you know, it's it's yeah. arguably the franchise has never been more popular. Um, and as a result, you know, uh-huh. Toho is, of course, taking notice of that. You know, now we have yeah. a whole a whole L.A. team that I'm very happy to be in touch with now and they're all super chill and uh fantastic yeah they're they're you know they actually as we're recording this they just launched an online store uh yeah which is crazy uh-huh. to me that that hasn't existed yet but again right <laughs> un- unprecedented territory i saw that news with great interest as well <laughs> yeah i'd be surprised if they didn't have the book available in that store um but yeah, yeah i I, so. I, I feel like again uh, Jeffrey, uh, Professor Angles, <laughs> whichever you <would laughs> prefer. Okay. <laughs> um, I feel like we could talk for another hour about this yeah. stuff. Uh, but I feel like we've hit a lot of really good points. Uh, was there anything else Great. you feel like we, the, the, we, I, and the listeners should know about with regards to this release specifically? Uh, just that it's a heck of a lot of fun, and that, yeah. <laughs> and that, uh, yeah, I, I definitely hope that uh, that that people will will, will find it. Um, I mean, obviously, this is a, a labor of love, and I enjoyed mm-hmm. every minute of it. So, you know, I just want to share the uh, the, the joy of this with with um, as many people as possible. Well, I I awesome. certainly yeah. yeah tell your libraries to, to to buy it. You know. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Well, I I definitely yeah. uh, want. Um, <laughs> I want, uh, I definitely would love to have you back on, uh, at least to talk Thank about you. your inevitable translation of the Golden Fairies and Mothra. Uh, I, the... You know what? <laughs> uh, <laughs> mm. oh, mm. Interesting <laughs> that you should mention that because, uh, yes, yeah, the, the uh, there has been like, uh, there's, there's... was it you that kind of you know put the uh, put the bug into University of Minnesota Press's ear about this? I I think, I think that... there's just been some chatter about it. Some people just talking yes. about it online because yes mothra and, is uh, like there needs to be more mothra material out there <laughs> so during my most recent trip to japan um two months ago um i i i tracked down a copy of it and um it it is and you know of course i immediately read it it's 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 a lot of fun and it's unlike this one which is kind of you know made sort of a little bit after the fact or you know, in the case of the second novella, like in tandem with the movie, you know, there, um, the the Mothra book definitely came first, and mm. and and the 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 film is an adaptation of the book, and there are lots of differences, and those differences I think are pretty darn fascinating. So, I um, love yeah, it. I would I love it. Yeah, I totally want to. I want to see if I can uh, can make this happen. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's. I, I okay. I'm just gonna I'm gonna tamp down my own personal excitement for that for the moment and try <laughs> to be a professional. Uh, the uh, well, so uh, so if well, let me ask you one more question. Uh, when people want to, let's say someone wants to uh, learn Japanese and they don't live yeah. in Minnesota or uh, or can't go to mm-hmm. Western Michigan University to take one of your classes. How how would you recommend uh-huh. someone learn Japanese? Oh gosh, uh, you know, so um, 
first of all, I, I think it, it makes sense to kind of think about what you want to get out of the whole process. Mm. You know, like uh, um, the Japanese writing system is really complicated. I think mm. that anyone who's looked at it knows. Um, and so if you started studying it, then, you know, you just, you just, as you go down that, that path, you think like, wow, this is so complicated. Um, so, you know, but but I've known people that have become very fluent in Japanese and, and are really able to interact very nicely in Japan without being able to read at all. Mm. So, um, so, you know, so those, those are different kinds of skills. Like, so, you know, do you want to read? Do you want to like, do you want to read manga? Do you want to listen to anime? Do you want to like have conversations with like ordinary people? Those all kind of involve sort of different kinds of skills. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, that being, that being said, like this, I'm so impressed by uh, how much good material is appearing on YouTube. Like, mm. like a lot of people making really, really good videos of kind of showing very natural conversations, like, you know, from beginning level. Um, yeah. One of the things I recommend is like, you know, listen to, to like, like conversations where like on YouTube or something like that, which are kind of geared for beginners and, you know, start listen to the explanations and break them down and don't just listen. I think people think like when you learn a language, you just listen to it. Mm-mm. If you just listen to it, you'll never learn it. You know, you have to like repeat. Yeah, <laughs> I personally can't remember a word unless I've said it like 10 times, you know? Oh, wow. sure. So, so, you know, the people who become really good at languages are the ones who like go around muttering, you know, like their thoughts, you know, out loud to themselves <laughs> in, in the language. You know, they're the ones who, who practice in their showers, you know, who, mm. who like learn a Japanese song and you just sing it in the shower or whatever. Oh yeah. You know, so, um, so yeah, practice, 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 you know, find putting yourself in those situations, you know, listening to things. I think that's the way to, best way to learn language. Yeah, just trying to uh, be engaged with it, you know. Uh, I I remember friends of mine yeah. telling me that uh, the best way they they said that they had learned a lot of it in in school or in university, however you want to say it. And then uh-huh. when they went to Japan, they said yeah. they learned so much more just talking to people in bars. Um, and, right, yeah. right, yeah. And I think that because so- there was communication. And- yeah, yeah. And you're you're picking up on the niceties of how people convey an idea, um, uh-huh. and I think that's uh, really right. important. I mean, God knows I've been to Japan almost once a year since 2015, uh, and I still nice. am fairly, uh, you know, like I can fake it. <laughs> I I've been told my pronunciation is very good, <laughs> like, uh, but but sometimes uh-huh. I'll uh, I'll have to cover for my lack of Japanese knowledge by uh my, my uh by basically making making jokes like uh ah ah simasen watashi wa baka gaijin da simasen uh just like or uh, <laughs> or uh, what was it? oh yeah if I had to go to the bathroom uh I, I a friend of mine told me oh what you should say is ah simasen geri daikasen uh like which i believe he, oh my goodness no yeah which is not what it, it would, what does it mean it's like intestinal final battle or something uh decisive battle of my yeah, lower yeah. intestine <laughs> yeah 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 it's, i'm it's having really a dumb. diarrhea battle <laughs> yeah. exactly all right well I'm sh- again, I'm sure, you know what, we may have to have a follow-up episode just in general, because I loved uh, getting to to talk with you. Yeah, that'd be fun. I, God, I had so much else I wanted I to say. That. 
Yeah, I had so much else I wanted to say about uh, Godzilla's gender and how the Japanese use pronouns because uh-huh. they didn't, as I've been told, <laughs> they didn't really start using pronouns the way we use pronouns until uh, Western literature started getting translated over there. And uh, <laughs> so it's and then, true. Yeah, yeah. it's yeah. just uh, it's so interesting. But uh, uh, although uh, also in a recent in the most recent Godzilla comic, um, Godzilla War for Humanity. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, they refer to Godzilla as it throughout the book. Um, I thought that was mm. an interesting connection point. Uh, that may also be a director from Toho. I mean, who knows? But, because uh, uh, huh. I don't know. I don't know. I, I guess they just, they're tired of people arguing about the gender. Um, but, uh, all yeah. right. So anyway, um, well, again, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, is there any oh, my last, pleasure. last minute stuff you want to plug? Um, well, yeah, just, I, just, I hope people go out and get the book and, uh, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, I'd love to love this to reach lots of readers out there. It's, it's fun and, and, um, easy to digest, but there's a lot to think about, you know, in this, in this book too. So, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I appreciate that. Yeah. Well, uh, y'all can find, uh, you know, not just this podcast, but other podcasts of, uh, of, I was about to say other podcasts of ill repute uh, here on one of us.net <laughs> and one of us.net network. Uh, thank you so much again. Um, I'm trying to think if there's a dumb, silly way I can end the episode, but it's been such a classy episode by comparison to a lot of my other stuff. <laughs> I think I'll just do a kind hearted sign off. You can find me over right. on mattfrankart.net, patreon.com slash mattfrankart, where you can follow my production of my original Kaiju uh, comic book series, state of the monsters and uh, I've got my Godzilla, uh, my new Godzilla comic uh, dropping on August 30th, which is Godzilla Rivals uh, versus Space Godzilla. Again, probably a lot less classy than the uh, novels, but uh, we, I still get <laughs> I my, know. I still get uh, my weird stuff in there. I, I, I had to be a weirdo, artsy fartsy about it. I'll send you a copy of the comic when it's out. Um, oh, I can't wait. That sounds uh, great. Yeah, I love yeah. your artwork, man. It's, it's just great. Yeah. Thank you so much. Uh, Alrighty, uh, thanks again for listening to the Giganticast. That was in my brain, and now it's in yours. (laughs) 